Let's pray. Oh God, Lord Jesus, we want to be that love on the move, please. At this critical time in history, please. Teach us how. We ask in your name. Amen. Edmund Burke, 18th century statesman and philosopher, wrote words you've probably heard of before, but just in case you haven't, let me remind you of them. Here they are. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Hmm. Amazingly, that is precisely God's point here in Isaiah 59. Oh God, how come I've never seen this chapter before? Isaiah 58, I've written a whole book on uh, that chapter. 59, oh, I've read it, but I never caught it. To make sure that never happens again, let's go, you and me. Get your Bible, Isaiah 59. This is an incredible chapter. It'll raise your eyebrows too. Isaiah 59. So this is Isaiah, the ancient prophet. He's bringing a message from the eternal to the community of faith, okay? So this, this, this is a message to God's people. It's not to any, it's not to the culture. It's not to the pagan world around them. This is to God's people. Isaiah 59, we're going to pick it up in verse 4, NIV. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. Can you believe that? Nobody's calling for justice. Nobody is pleading a case with integrity. Mercy. What's going on? Gary Haugen, in his provocative book, Good News About Injustice, A Witness of Courage in a Hurting World. Got the book downstairs. I've read it. He says, there's no point in talking about justice and injustice if we don't understand what they are. In other words, how can we be talking about what we don't know what we're talking about? So he's going he's gonna to shoot some definitions by us. See what you think. They'll just go right by us. Okay, here comes, here comes his first sentence. Fundamentally, speaking of justice, fundamentally, justice has to do with the exercise of power. Well, that's simple enough. I get it. Line number two. To say that God is a God of justice is to say that he is a God who cares about the right exercise of power and authority. Well, that makes sense to me, and I'm sure it does to you. Here comes line number three. God is the ultimate power and authority in the universe. True that. I got it. So justice occurs when power and authority is exercised in conformity with his standards. Yo, so far so good. Yeah, but Dwight, what's injustice? Algon is ready for us. Here he comes with that. Fundamentally, injustice is about the abuse of power. Injustice occurs when power is misused to take from others what God has given them, namely their life, dignity, liberty, or the fruits of their love and labor. We don't need to parse the headlines today of what has transpired over this past week. Don't even need to review the story. One name. That's what we remember. We must not forget. George Floyd. Why? Because the name George Floyd has become synonymous with the word injustice. That camera on a telephone, somebody's smartphone, that records that incident 
A picture that's now been seen around the world again and again and again. I tell you what, when you watch a life expire on camera, you never forget it. What did Gary Haugen say? How did he put it when he's describing injustice here? Fundamentally, injustice, just rereading that line, injustice is the abuse of power when power is misused to take from others what God has given them, namely, their life. Since January 1, 2015, somebody besides God has kept a record of how many lives have expired because of a firearm in the hands of someone in power and authority. The reason for the outrage that has spilled into the streets these past days in America is the disproportionate racial disparity in those numbers. Let me quote to you from the website Statista. Black Americans account for less than 13% of the population But they are shot and killed at a rate that's over twice as high as for white Americans. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. Keep reading. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. The truth is, racism doesn't have a leg to stand on. And yet after all these years, it still stands. You know why? Because of the darkness that dwells in the human heart. I'm talking about my heart. And probably your heart as well. Brian Stevenson wrote this uh, New York Times bestseller. It's a great book. It's also downstairs. I read it. Title of the book. Just Mercy, A Story of Justice and Redemption. Highly acclaimed. He writes, and I'm quoting him, Paul Farmer, the renowned physician who has spent his life trying to cure the world's sickest and poorest people, once quoted to me, Brian Stevenson writes, something that the writer Thomas Merton said, we are bodies of broken bones. Boy, that line jumped out for me. We are bodies of broken bones. I guess I'd always known, but never fully considered that being broken is what makes us human. We all have our reasons. We are bodies, you and me. We are bodies of broken bones. But that doesn't mean we give up. Just because racism doesn't have a leg to stand on and yet it still stands doesn't mean we have to give up, even though there's darkness in all of our hearts. Drop on down to to verse 14 here in Isaiah 59. We were in 4, now go down to 14. So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Wow. You know what's so sad about these words? It's pretty much America today. What was that? Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. We're talking about the narratives. We're talking about the counter-narratives of those who protest, of those who are in power. Narratives back and forth. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Racism 
the injustice of racism. And nobody's speaking up. What do you mean nobody, do I? Well, I'm talking about you and me. The dark enemy of us all. Who, by the way, Jesus nailed it when he said he's been a liar from the beginning. All right? The dark enemy of us all has breathed his darkness into every human heart. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. The injustice of racism. I want to go back to Haugen again. When power is misused, speaking of injustice, to take from others what God has given them, namely their life, dignity, liberty, or the fruits of their love and labor. That's injustice. And we never said a mumbling word. That's a line from that old spiritual. Jesus under fire. Jesus in the docket. Being falsely charged. Talking about injustice. But we're not even speaking a mumbling word. Verse 15. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. Now get this, verse 16. He saw that there was no one. No one. That means nobody. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Can you believe those two words? No one. No one. He's looking down at his faith community. He's looking down at his people. Nobody's speaking up. What's up with that? No one to intervene on behalf of justice. No one to intervene on behalf of injustice's victims. No one to call out racism. Racism in the country. Racism in the church. No one willing to confront our own fractured lives. He looked down. He looked down. And he was appalled. That there was no one. No one. You say, well, you know what, Dwight? What do you mean there's no one? We've been trying all kinds of stuff. Nothing's working. You know what I say? You're telling me. I say, let's turn it back to God. God, you fix it. This is your problem. We've tried this. We've tried that. Nothing's working. You expect us to pull off a miracle? No. I don't even expect you to, to even breathe those words to God. Do you understand? Ooh, do you understand? You want God to take this thing over? <laughs> no, you don't. You ever heard about the wrath of the Lamb? Maybe not. It manifested itself on a Tuesday. Jesus will be dead by Friday. The wrath of the Lamb on a Tuesday. We see it in an unforgettable portrayal, Matthew 23. It's the last time Jesus is in the temple. He's preaching his farewell sermon. They're going to they're gonna nail him now so he doesn't hold back. Matthew 23. Yeah, you got to keep your finger in, in, in Isaiah, but you got to go to Matthew 23. All red letters, okay? So this is my, my Matthew 23 chapter, all red. Seven woes, but we'll only notice one of them. One line. Seven woes. I mean, you just read this whole chapter in, in, in one sitting. It's, it's short enough. But let's go to woe number four. 
Here it is, Matthew 23, 23. It'd be easy to remember that verse. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus speaking, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. We call that tithing. Mint, dill, and cumin. But you have, you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Let me repeat that. You have neglected the more important, something can be more important than tithing. You have neglected Jesus himself speaking, who gave tithing to us as a beautiful gift. You have neglected the more important matters of the law. Here they come. Justice. Ooh. Justice. Mercy. And faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, tithing. You blind guides, you strain out a net, but you swallow a camel. Mercy again. Wow. The camel of racism. Isn't that something? (laughs) The church was about as racist as ever when this fourth woe is pronounced. We're talking about... We're talking about first century Judaism. Now we need to keep in mind as our ages is very quick to point this out, that when these scathing rebukes were uttered, Jesus had tears in his voice. Those are her words. Tears in his voice. Tears for men who should have known better. We're talking about the spiritual leaders. Men who were hiding behind their own biases, their own Piouses behind ostensibly biblical orthodoxy, just hiding. Woe number four deals with their scrupulosity over tithing the spices in their little herb gardens. Good for you. While these blind guides are impervious to the daily injustices they practiced, they practiced toward those who should have been the objects of their compassion their defense, and their faithfulness. My, 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 my. In righteous wrath, I call it in holy fury, Jesus excoriates their sanctimonious duplicity and hypocrisy. And guess what? It guaranteed he would be on the cross by Friday. Yeah, guaranteed it. It's called the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. Oh, that's right. It appears actually in Revelation chapter 6. I'm going to read that passage. Revelation chapter 6. When the leaders of the world, it says from the highest king to the lowest slave, those who have rejected God. Jesus is sitting on this cloud. He's returning to the, he's returning to the earth. And they see him and they turn and flee and they cry out. Rocks. Mountains fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. The wrath of the Lamb. Wow, you don't want to take... Listen, you said, let's, let's, let's have God clean this mess up. No, 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 no. You don't want, you don't want the wrath of the Lamb now. Mm-mm. When Isaiah declares that God cannot find anybody among his people to stand up against injustice, to defend those who are the downtrodden, it is not a pleasant day of judgment that he's referring to. But there's still good news. And I don't want you to miss this. Get back to uh, Isaiah 59 here. I'm going to read that verse 16 again. The Lord looked down and he saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm 
Here we go. His own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. Whoa. In those words is embedded implicitly God's promise to all who suffer injustice on this planet. And there are many by the tens of thousands and millions who suffer tonight. When you crawl into your bed, they'll be suffering. The inequity, the injustice of life on the social scale of the human race today. But in those words embedded is the assurance that God himself, did you notice that? His own, his own, what was it? His own arm, his own righteousness. God himself embeds himself in the crisis of even the injustice of racism. And he says, I'll make sure I couldn't see one. I, I could not see. I could not hear one. No one speaking up. But I will. I will take care of you. Even if the courts of the land don't. Even if the courts of social media don't. Even, in the, even if the court of public opinion doesn't. There is a day coming. Judgment day. When God himself says, I will speak up for you. Whoa, justice will be served one day in the court of divine justice and judgment. Wow. Was that Edmund Burke line? All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men, good women, good people to do nothing. Well, I tell you what. It's between you and me. We cannot stand here and do nothing. We cannot sit here and do nothing. We have to do something. So what should we do? My blog, pmchurch.org slash blog, that came out this week. I shared what my friend Nick Miller shared with me. Nick was on a a panel uh, this last uh, Sabbath afternoon where they're trying to understand how the church and the nation should respond to the tragic death of George Floyd. He's on this panel, and he, he shares three, three lines from the American writer Ellen White. So I got him. I'm going to share this line with you. See what you think. 1899. Ellen White writes, The desire to show their masterly authority over the blacks is still burning in the hearts of many who claim to be Christians, but whose lives declare that they are standing under the black banner of the great apostate. She's talking about racism. When the whites commit crimes, they are often allowed to go uncondemned, while for the same transgressions, the blacks are treated worse than brutes. Will not God judge for these things? As surely as the whites have brought their inhuman cruelty to bear upon the Negroes, so surely will God's vengeance fall upon them. End quote. You want to talk about preaching truth to power? That's what she just did. 
That is a strong dose. My. So it's really a cop-out. It's a cop-out for us to say, you know what? The gospel of Jesus is what we need to be dealing with. We'll deal with the gospel. Let's let all the others deal with the social ills. <laughs> you got to be crazy. You can't be serious. Oh, you know, uh, if our religion, and we're pretty proud of the 28 fundamental beliefs, and rightfully so, but if our religion with all, with all of that, listen, makes no difference, makes no practical, tangible efforts to heal the broken heart of this fractured nation, <laughs> makes no difference for America that Adventists are around, then what good is this religion? I mean, please. Three angels. If the three angels can't deal with racism, then why are we here? Please. Well, we're here, right, to proclaim that Jesus is coming soon. I want to tell you something. That's exactly what it means to be an Adventist. But we're here for more than that. It's not about manana, sweet by and by, manana, sweet by and by, someday, deliverance is coming. No, we're here because as Jesus did, so we must do through our direct, silent many times, but strong compassion, challenge the embedded racism of his culture and his society as he did. What did Jesus do? He demonstrates this strong love for a Samaritan woman, the hated Samaritans. He demonstrates this same strong love for a pagan Roman centurion. He says, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. He demonstrates his strong healing love for a Syrophoenician polytheist mother who's pleading for her daughter. For a leper who's a Samaritan and the only one who came back to thank him. Love on the move. That's what the incarnated God was in our midst. And love on the move is precisely your mission and mine here in Pioneer. That is why we exist. Love on the move. And so there's some actions we can take. Let me run a couple of them by you. See what you think. I got this one from Ellen White. You'll be surprised. I'd love to put the words on the screen, but I actually had it in the blog. So you, you can go look at that blog and you'll have all these, uh, you'll have all of this, these quotations, that is, of hers. I'm quoting now. There is a cause for the moral paralysis upon society. Our laws sustain an evil which is sapping their very foundations. Sounds like she could be writing this week. Many deplore the wrongs which they know exist but consider themselves free from all responsibility in the matter. Hmm. This cannot be. Every individual exerts an influence in society in our favored land of America. Every vote has some voice in determining what laws shall control the nation. Should not that influence and that vote be cast on the side of temperance and virtue? End quote. She was a, she was a moral crusader. Now she's going after alcoholism. But she says temperance and virtue. Every word she's written of that ill 
is applicable to the ill, the deep, dark ill of racism. And what does she say to do? She says, this crusader recommends go to the ballot box. Go to the ballot box and try to change what needs changing in America. We can do no less. So that's one action. Here's another one. This one is for a recommendation for, well, you'll get it, it's just one sentence long. While we will endeavor, she's writing now, while we will endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace, we will not, with pen or voice, cease. We will not cease, with pen or voice, to protest against bigotry, end quote. We will protest with our pens. Guess what? You say, I don't use pens anymore, Dwight. Yeah, most of this generation doesn't. But uh, you, got, you got five pens on each, uh, on each hand. Come on, pens. In your social media platform, or someone happens to pass by your way and drops those, those, those heinous, dark seeds of hate and revenge and injustice. <laughs> you got, you got ten more pens that can go to work. You counter, you counter protest. You counteract with your seeds of compassion and goodness. Listen, you don't have to be Edwin Burke. You can be just little old you, and I can be little old me, and we can use our little old fingers to advocate, to protest. Here's pen and voice, she says. So pen, we got that part. Read social media. Voice, hey, when you, when, when you march, when you march in protest, what are you using? You're using your voice. That's what protesting is. You're using your voice. You're speaking up to be heard. What's wrong with that? We must, what is, how does she put it here? We must protest against bigotry, period. So you who are younger, don't let those of us who are older come to you and say, no, 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 we don't go on, we don't go on marches like that. No, we, we don't. Look, at it. if they mean we don't throw bricks through glass windows to make our point, they are absolutely right. We embrace nonviolence as Jesus did. Jesus was a reformer, a great reformer. But he did it without violence. And he made an everlasting difference. How's that line go? But we must not cease to protest against bigotry. There'll be a march tomorrow, by the way. Mm-hmm. Sunday. Meeting at the HPAC, Howard Performing Arts Center, parking lot. Students have organized this from all over the community. They're meeting at 1. They're gonna, the march begins at 2. So you can get there between 1 and 2. Let me read to you a blurb from uh, the flyer that is urging people to come and join them. I'm going to quote now. We want our community to be aware of the issues our generation is facing. No matter your age, race, or religion, this is everyone's problem. All caps, everyone's. This is everyone's problem. We must address the racism that has taken place in this country as well as in our neighborhoods and classrooms. These who live in our town are writing. Good for them. Let's join them. Come on. I'm going to be down there. Come on down. 
It's not about age. <laughs> it's not about religion, as they say. It's about us acting. The Lord was appalled. There's nobody speaking up in that village. Well, we'll change that record. You and me. Anything else we can be doing? Oh, boy. Yep. Which is why I've invited my young friend and colleague, Taurus Montgomery, who pastors our Benton Harbor campus. It's called Harbor of Hope. He's the pastor. I've invited him to come next Sabbath to share his heart with us. Yeah, he's just uh, been doing some very careful thinking. And he shared with me what his congregation is now on the verge of launching. And, and you and I need to hear about it. So he'll come on next week. He'll, he'll take care of all the mistakes that I made and kind of clean it up and then give us something, all of us, because I'll be listening just like you, all of us, something that we can act on. So don't miss next Sabbath, whatever you do. Come right back here. In the words of Edmund Burke, one more time, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men and good women and good young adults and good teens to do nothing. Let them figure it out. God, you do it. Ah, don't ask for that. Now, Burke's words are good, but I find the familiar words of Jesus even more powerful. And on the eve of his execution, Thursday night, he spoke these words, you remember them. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Ah, there it is. Love on the move. The mission of pioneer in the footsteps of Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Oh God, God of perfect justice, Lord of healing love, forgive our injustices and our racism. Heal our fractured land and church and hearts and may the strong love of Jesus be on the move through each of us. Amen.